Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. You know, the most, one of the most popular forms of, of videos on social media, particularly Facebook, and some of these are on Instagram as well, but you see a lot of them on Facebook, are the epic fail videos. And you know you watch them. You know you do. Uh, and you know that every epic fail video begins with the same six words. Hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> and they all start with that. They're all the best of intentions, but... But they don't work out. And, and I think the reason we love to watch those so much is because we identify with people whose plans didn't work out, you know? Because on social media, uh, it seems like everybody wants us to think that their plans always work out and every vacation is perfect and every meal looks like it was done at a three Michelin star restaurant, you know? And everybody's hair is always perfect and their outfit is always just right. That's, it seems like that's their plan, and that's what happens. But that is not reality, is it? For most of us, our plans don't always work out. And sometimes they are downright epic fails. And sometimes the fail is that we wanted to be a part of somebody's plan. We wanted to be a part of a plan, whether it's, a, whether it's someone that we love or someone we're really interested in or whether it's a work issue or maybe even something that's happening at school, and we wanted to be a part of that plan, but somehow we feel like we're going to be left out. It's not a good feeling. I have, I'm not a planner, okay? I, I lived by the, by the rule of a, of a corporate boss I had back in my radio days, and he used to say, <clears throat> I'll always take a flawed plan executed with passion over a meticulous plan executed with indifference. And that's me. I'm like, hallelujah, brother. I'm all about the flawed plans, and I'll put myself into it. And if you heard any amens around, that's people who work here with me, and they all know that I'm all about the flawed plans and all about... But, it, but you know, here we go. We're going to go over this cliff, and we're going to go wide open over the cliff. And we're either going to fly or we're going to fall. But one way or the other, we're going to give it everything we have. Now, so I'm not a great planner, but I've had one plan. My heart made a plan um, on the second Tuesday of February in 1971. Now, a few people in here have been around for a while are going, oh, I think I've heard this story. I'm not going to tell the whole story. But there's part of this story that I think is relevant today. And, and what happened was on the second Tuesday of February in 1971 at a party after a basketball game, my heart made a plan to spend the next eternity with a young girl. Well, she was, she was 17 at the time, same as me, named Lynn Nielsen. And we were, we were kind of paired off at this party and, and we talked some and okay, we kissed a little. And, and my poor heart just gave it up and said, you know what, this is it. We, we've got to make a plan right now to have this woman in our life and for her uh, to have us in, in her life. Well, we did. We dated some after that and, and, and it went well for a while. But the bottom line is, she had not yet realized what a catch I was. 
and the fact is, I've been in our relationship about five years longer than she has. <laughs> you know, so 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 she went to college, and I went on the road and played rock and roll, and then got it got tired of starving to death, and and uh, did the second worst thing you can do, and that's get a job in radio. But you know, at least I I could eat regularly. So about five years had passed, and we got back together again. And I'd like to point out, she called me. And she's sitting right up there, and she's waving. You did. You know it, don't you? She called me. But I was so glad that she did, and I think she was glad too. And so we started, we started dating again, uh, kind of more as grown-ups. And, and things were going really well. And my heart was just, boy, it, well, you know, it had been flickering. But now it was back. Oh, man, we're, we're going to be in her plan. We are going to be a part of her plan. This is awesome. But after graduation, um, her parents still, they lived in Rhode Island at the time. And they had moved down here. That's how I met her. And they moved back. And, and her mom said, you know, why don't you come up here now that you're out of school and you need to get your wisdom teeth out. That was, that was a fact. So why don't you come up here and we'll take care of that for you. We'll take care of you. Now, I know that her mom really wanted Lynn to go back to school. And I think to, I think to study physical therapy. Her mom just really had that plan for her. Um, and Lord knows I wasn't much, you know, my hair was still down to here. I was working at a little radio station. I didn't have hardly anything and my prospects weren't great. And I, and I always got along with her mom and dad really well, but I mean, come on, you know, really, you want to stay in Tennessee for that? So, so she's in Rhode Island and I'm thinking, um, every day that passes, the, the, I'm, my heart's flickering, the plan's flickering, and I'm not sure it's going to work out. So we talked some on the phone, but then the calls started becoming a little more infrequent. And I thought, you know what, her mom and has convinced her that she needs to do just that. Move back to Rhode Island, study, be physical therapist, and live happily ever after. But I thought, I can't, I can't give up. i got to go all in. i got to go all in. So I wrote her a letter, and I included a poem would you like to hear it? Some, some of you've heard it. Some of you've heard it. This is in writing. Lynn still has it. There was a young girl from New England, so fair that her face set me reeling. But due to her teeth, she's been gone now three weeks, and like jello, my heart is congealing. <laughs> so how did she turn that down? Well, I was afraid that she had because I didn't hear much after that letter. And I thought, oh man, Shakespeare, I'm not. But I gave it my best. At least I gave it my best shot. And then she called a few days later and she said, Can, I'm coming back. Could you pick me up? I knew she had to come back eventually. Her stuff was here. She said, could you pick me up at the airport? And that was about the extent of the conversation. And I thought, well, that's all she wrote right there. It's done. I'll, and I said, of course, of course, I'll come pick you up. So I drove to the airport, very heavy heavy-hearted, and the, fl the flame was just barely flickering. I was walking across baggage claim, and I saw her. And, you know, it wasn't one of those cinematic things where we were running through the meadow, you know, and their hair's blowing in slow motion and all that. But it was special, and I could see this special smile on her face. And, and as I got to her, she put her bags down, and she hugged me. And she hugged me with a hug I had never felt before, ever. And it was, and she didn't let go, you know, it was like, okay, I don't want to let go either. So we just stood there in baggage claim and hugged. And in that hug, I knew, in fact, 
that I still had a place in her, pan, her plan. And that was 45 years ago. And for the last 43 years, we've been married. And she's sitting right up there. And I, I think she's smiling too because it's been wonderful. But, but the hug, the hug was what clued me in that I actually did have a place in her plan. It is not a good feeling to think that you've been left out, especially something that means that much to you. So today for a few minutes, I want to talk about what it means to, to have a plan where we know you won't be rejected. We know you'll not only be accepted, but you'll be welcomed in with a big hug. A plan that can make all the other plans in your life, a plan that can make all of those make sense and have a purpose. Psychiatrists and psychologists tell us that people need plans. When you have a plan, it takes some of the pressure off life because you've made a decision, you're going to move in this direction, and everything you do is working toward that plan. Whereas otherwise, you're just kind of careening through life, which was my way for a long time, wondering if anything had anything to do with anything else. A plan lets us make a decision and live into it instead of trying to decide if the random events of our life really have a purpose. And when we find ourselves moving toward this grand plan that I want to talk about, and we find ourselves in God's plan for us, and you hear preachers talk all the time about God having a plan for us, and we can't go into every individual plan in this room, but I think God does have a preferred future for all of us. But God's grand plan is for us to be with him. Now, that's tricky because we sometimes misuse the freedom that he gave us. At creation, we were created freedom. We could choose our own way, uh, which Adam and Eve uh, failed at immediately. Epic fail. Uh, you can have the whole garden. Don't eat the apple. What do they do? Eat the apple. Epic fail. And we've been struggling ever since with rebellion against God. And see, God just can't, he can't have part with that. Rebellion and sin, we call it sin. Uh, God can't have anything to do with that. It's part of our human nature. It's, it's part of falling, the, the fallen humanity that we're a part of. And, and, and it's not something we should feel bad about. It's something we should just embrace as reality so that we can then accept what God wants to do about it. And what God wants to do, and what God decided to do, I think, before creation, before there were ever any of us here, he knew that if he gave us that kind of freedom, we'd misuse it. But he said, I have a plan, and I know how we're going to get him back. And Jesus came then to live and to die and to live again so that we could come back into the plan, so that he would, he would suffer the consequences of all of our bad decisions and all the misuse of our freedoms once and for all so that we could be together with God. And, and that's what the Easter story really is all about. It's about this plan coming to fruition so that we could become all that we were created to be. So let me read the Easter story just a little bit. This is from Luke's gospel. This is from chapter 24. It begins with verse 1. Uh, here's the word of God. On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? 
The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful people, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. By the way, that was a big part of the plan. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others who were with them who told this to the apostles. Another word for the disciples. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what happened? You know, Peter must have asked that question of himself several times. I relate strongly with Peter, and maybe you do too, because if you, if you know the, the earlier part of this story, when Jesus was having that last supper with his disciples just before he was arrested and then beaten and crucified, they were, they were eating together, and he was telling them what was coming. And Peter, big Peter, Peter was like a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, you know. And Peter's like, Lord, I'll go with you. I'll go with you to the death. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, I'm going to tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows two times, you will have denied me three times. And that's what happened. And I got to believe that, when, that Peter was in a pretty bad state of affairs whenever Jesus died on that cross. He had to have thought, you know what? If I ever had a place in that plan, <laughs> I'm, I'm out now. But then the empty tomb and suddenly it's like, man, maybe all that stuff he said was true. And maybe, just maybe, could I possibly have a place in the plan again? And, of course, it turns out he did. And it turns out we do too. So what I want to do for just a second is talk about this plan, this plan that God has that we're invited into. We have the freedom to accept, the freedom to reject, but we are all invited into it. And how do you evaluate a plan? Is this a good plan? Is it a bad plan? Well, lots of ways, but I'm going to suggest three things we, we need to think about. First of all, what's the objective? If you're going to enter into a plan, what's the objective? What are we trying to accomplish? Fair question. The next thing you might ask is, who else is involved? And is it going to be all up to me, or are there going to be people that can help me with this plan? So, you know, that's, that's number two. And then the third thing is, what's my role? What do I have to do? I want to have a clear sense of what I have to do in this plan. See, we can use that evaluation to think about this plan of God's. And I think, and I think if, we'll, if we'll think with an open heart, we can all find ourselves in that plan. And if we can make a decision to be a part of that plan or perhaps re-enter it, if we've been drifting away for a while, which happens to a lot of us, then suddenly all the other plans of our life will begin to make more sense and we'll have a purpose. So, so let's go back. What, what was the purpose of this grand plan that God had? What was the point of all that? Uh, you know, you could spend days discussing that and go back and look at all sorts of Scripture from the Old Testament and New Testament. But back in Genesis, back in the very first book of the Bible, early on, it says that God created us, and He created us in His image, that we, in fact, bear the image of God. All human beings do. Now, we don't look like him. We don't sound like him. We don't know he's not a human being. He's a spirit. And that's the point. We all have this spirit inside of us that bears the image of God. 
But when we misused our freedom from the very first time in the Garden of Eden and every subsequent time when we misuse our freedom, we sort of lower the flame on that image to continue that metaphor of a, of a flame burning, or we tarnish that image, and it becomes less like God and more like something God never intended. But what, what we believe is that as United Methodists and as our theology follows the stream of John Wesley, who founded the movement that is now the United Methodist Church, we believe that there's always still just a spark of that flame alive in everyone. So then the plan would be that Jesus would come and he would do away with all the barriers to God that had been, that had come between us because of our sin and our, our, bad, our bad decisions and misuse of freedom. And then that image could be restored. And I think that's, that's ultimately the objective of the plan. And let me put it this way. God's plan is for us to grow toward him and toward our fullest potential. See, see, there are good people in the world that have no idea. Well, everybody knows who Jesus is. Most people know who he is, but they've just decided they don't want anything to do with it, don't want anything to do with God, however they understand God. And, and they can still be good people. But no one can ever become the fullest expression of who they are. No one can ever rise to their fullest potential without a relationship with God that is secured by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It can't be done. It has to be that way. And what that means is, it means we can live fully. We can live with peace in the midst of the storm. We can, we can take care of ourselves and take care of our families. And we can love in a way that we could never love without being restored to that potential. We can love others. We can love our enemies as Jesus called us to do. We can be, we can be the beginning of love instead of the end of the love and salvage relationships. All sorts of beautiful things. But that was the plan, to restore that, to grow toward him and to grow toward our fullest potential. So I think that's the, I think that's the purpose. That's the ultimate point. Now, now who, who else is involved? Because if that's left up to just me, I'm probably going to mess that up because I don't often live into my full potential. I often don't live the way I should. I often don't love the way I should. Maybe that happens to you too. So how do we know, how do we know this plan can be successful? One word, and you know the word, Jesus, because this is all about Jesus. Jesus came, Jesus came to show us a glimpse of resurrection living. When Jesus, when Jesus came back, he wasn't like human Jesus 2.0. He was living this, this resurrection presence. And what happens in a resurrection presence is what is impossible. And, you know, the, 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 the apostles had trouble believing the women because they said, it's, it's nonsense. This isn't possible. Oh, yeah, it is. It is because of this resurrection presence. It's, it's absolutely possible. And the good news about all that is that Jesus is the one that guarantees it. Jesus is our guarantee that the plan will be successful. And why that's important is because it doesn't mean we have to get things right. It doesn't mean we have to fully understand everything that's happening. It doesn't mean that we always have to make the right decision. It doesn't mean we always have to say the right thing, do the right thing. God would prefer we did. We don't have to go to church X amount of times. The going to church is a good thing. Being around other believers, uh, being supported that way. doesn't mean we have to know the Bible front to back, but reading the Bible allows us to know more about God on His terms 
and not our terms. When I read the Bible for the first time in 1988, it changed everything for me because I learned the single most important thing I have ever learned in my life, and that is that God loves me. Period. Regardless of what I've done, regardless of my mistakes, all the times I've betrayed the fact that I even knew who Jesus was, he still loves me. So it's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to Jesus, and he will guarantee the success of the plan. Now, that sounds good to me so far. The plan means, me taking a part in the plan means that I can become the fullest expression of who I'm supposed to be, and it's not up to me to pull it off. It's up to Jesus. So it begs the question, what is my role? What do I do? What did the women do? I love this. The first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. Now we read that and think, well, okay, fine. Well, think about it. They'd been with him for two or three years, depending on which woman it was, but some of them had been with Jesus from the very beginning. They were just as much a part of his group as, as the 12 disciples that we, whose names we learned in Bible school if we went to Bible school. And so they'd heard him teach, they heard him preach, they saw him heal, they saw the miracles, and they saw him die a horrific death on the cross. So what did they do? What do we do now? You can just imagine. We know what they did. They just, they were drawn back to him. So they said, you know what? We got burial spices. Let's go and let's give him a proper Jewish burial because he was a Jewish man. That's why, that's what they were doing there. But they were drawn back to where they knew him to be. They said, well, his body, his body will be there. And this, I'd never thought about this before until I read a, some, in one of the commentaries that I read this week, and I don't remember who it was. Why was the, why was the stone rolled away? And you know, the easy answer is because that's the way the story goes, and that's so Jesus could come out. But if you read in Luke's gospel later after this story about some of the resurrection appearances and in John's gospel where it talks about Jesus coming back and being among them, I think it's John's gospel that says he wound up in a room with the disciples and the door was locked. And there he was. See, that's this resurrection presence. So apparently he could just go anywhere he wanted to be. He didn't need an open door. So why was the stone rolled away? He could have just, I don't know, beamed up like Scotty or something. I, I don't know how it works. But you know what I think? I don't think the stone was rolled away so Jesus could get out. I think the stone was rolled away so the women and the disciples could get in. And they could come face-to-face with the reality that he had been alive, that he was dead. There are the burial clothes where he lay, but he's not there. It happened. It really happened. And our role, then, is to keep moving toward Jesus. That's all we need to do is keep moving toward Jesus. And he will roll the stones away in our life that would keep us from moving toward him. Stones like... I'm too flawed. I've made too many mistakes. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know who I am. And he doesn't want anything to do with me. That's a stone that can be rolled across a tomb of our heavy heart that won't allow us to be up close and personal with Jesus. And, and there are many others. 
You know, I don't believe this. I can't believe this. It doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it doesn't make any sense. But if Jesus was there as part of of the triune God, that's a churchy word, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, Jesus was at creation. If Jesus was part of creation, then he can manipulate creation in a way where he can be resurrected and come back and we can have the same opportunity. So our role is simply keep moving toward Jesus and let him roll stones away. Because remember what it says. I think this is in Romans where it says, where Paul says, nothing, nothing, big word, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And I don't have it memorized, but it talks about nothing in heaven, nothing on earth. No principalities, no authorities, not nakedness, not peril, not sword, not anything, nothing, not even death itself, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. All those stones have been rolled away. So if we choose to not walk in and see where he was and be in his presence, if we choose to do that, that's on us and not on him. And he will even work on us by the power of his spirit stops off on our heart so that we can understand he really did rise. Resurrection power is really available for all of us. And when we do that, when we do that, when we're willing to say, you know what, I think I may have a place in the plan. I'm going to keep moving toward Jesus. You know where we find ourselves? We find ourselves walking across baggage claim and we see him standing there. Or maybe we see him on the cross and, and on the cross, Jesus was like this. And I think that on the cross, Jesus was, was giving the entire universe this, this hug, this cosmic hug that says, yes, I want you as part of the plan. I want you to take your place in the plan in my life. Because Jesus would say, there is a place for you in his plan and no one else can fill it. No one can be you. And he did it for everybody. And so think about that. This, this cosmic hug. Think about right now, just imagine, just imagine that you're feeling like you're left out of the plan. Your heart is broken. It's never going to be restored. Nothing is ever going to be good. I'm always going to be disappointed, always going to be disillusioned, always going to be disaffected, always going to be disregarded, always going to be disowned, always going to be disallowed, always dissed in my life. And there stands Jesus. And you just walk up to him and you let him hug you. And you realize, I do have a place in the plan, and he loves me. And then that's the beginning of the rest of your life. And there are people who've never done that before. There are also people who've done it, and, you know, life got complicated. And maybe you drifted away. No reason why you can't come back. His arms are open. He's there, ready to hug you into the fullest potential of who you can be. It's all on him, not on you. You just show up. You just say, yes, Jesus, this is what I want. Let's pray together. Almighty God, there, there's someone here this morning who's never walked up and received that hug. There's someone here, oh God, who has no idea how much you love them and how much you want them just as they are right now in this second to be a part of the plan. And I pray, O oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would encourage that person to take a step toward you. 
I know, God, there are those here this morning who have received that hug, but eh, it's, it's kind of worn off and they've drifted away. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage that person to just turn back, receive that encouragement, receive that reminder in that hug that they are dearly loved and have a place in the plan. God, thank you for resurrection. Thank you for the plan, for having us as a part of it. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we're going to live into it every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.